You're listening to Beyond the Pipe with Chris Morgan and Sean Ring. So it is pretty amazing that we can talk to somebody on the entire other side of the world in real time. It's like magic. With with no lag. Like I'm I'm watching you speak right there and there's no lag at all. Yeah. It's actually really impressive. Yeah. I do remember that you, uh, it was it's time goes quick, man. I remember it was uh May two thousand and nineteen that you and I were having break, breakfast the six oh no, we had dinner the night before at a Mexican place. The best tacos ever. Yeah, yeah, with Arby ever. was there and it was great. And then um, the next morning it was like, ah, oh, that was a pretty tired morning. And it was just like, man, you Americans eat a lot of calories. Holy moly. Yeah, breakfasts are pretty big here, especially if you go to a diner. I mean, everything is like the size of a basketball size plate. Yeah. Well, and then you need second breakfast, which is very important. It's the second most important meal of the day. <laughs> But just think about it, right? It was like over two years ago. Like, Dude, holy cow. This, this last year, for the majority of people out there, it's like it didn't happen in some ways. Like, time did not exist. It was the slowest, slowest year in the entire world. And then this, you know, last six months have been so fast. It's just been crazy. I don't know, man. Like, um, uh, Chris knows, but you probably don't. But I've been in lockdown for a week now, and there's still another month coming up. So it's pretty fucking slow right now. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of stories <laughs> over in Australia. Is that right from now. you're hearing that you're hearing that from Jeremiah, no doubt. Oh yeah, yeah. Jeremiah has yeah. been pretty loud about it, but it's I don't know. It's nice. It's nice to see a real perspective because most people over there are just kind of like. I don't. I don't want to say this, but I'm going to say it because this is what we see. A lot of people are just sitting down. And well, we're like, seeing yeah, okay. that everywhere. You and I complain about this all the time. Like the, no, everyone's I, I sitting know, down. It's what what our media is showing us. It's like, yeah, well, they're just going to go into this, like the crazy speeches from the politicians, and you're like, wait, they're actually going along with this. Like, it's, yeah, it really makes you think. How much are we? Act- how much is actually happening, and how much is just clips here and there that they're piecing together? Because, I mean, we're talking with Rob on the other side of the freaking world. We have no idea what's actually going on over there. I mean, with all the technology that they have for CGI and how easily the media (laughs) can lie, who knows? There might not have been a single riot this last year. Who knows? Do you know what I wonder about is I wonder about – how would I put this? It's kind of like watching a movie but not – entering the movie with any idea of how long that movie goes for. Like, is it a one-hour movie or a two-hour movie or a three-hour movie? And I'm kind of wondering how deep into this year. movie are – like, how deep into this movie are we? I actually have – like, I spoke to people in April last year and they were saying, oh, this will all be done in six months. And I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, th- think we're, I think it's way longer than that. I think it might be to a certain degree the the way that things will be for the foreseeable future. And and when I say for foreseeable future, I mean like we'll be dealing with this in five years. Well, here's what I think. To the same extent. Remember how – oh, dude, I totally – so here's the way I see it. Remember when um, 
September 11, 2001 took place, we are still dealing with it today. And our world has changed forever because of it. Yeah. And I just feel this is this is another moment that will redefine the way we do things. Yeah. So it'll change the way we do things. It, it, it's not going anywhere. It's mutated into a Delta variant. Then there's going to be another variant and another variant. And it's just how we choose to get along with it. Like, do we, we'll be dealing with it for a long time in, in one way, shape or form. Yeah. Well, and I think that's going to bring on variants of a lot of different things. I mean, what we're probably going to see next is a variant in our monetary system. Um, totally. Cri- cryptocurrencies are going to be the next variant that we go and, and see. And that's kind of why we have Rob Capuccio on today. He's a good friend of ours in the pipe community. And, you know, he knows a little bit about cryptocurrencies. And Chris and I have dabbled in it a little bit. And we would like to, you know, pick his brain and maybe get some other people to learn about what we've learned about and see how interesting it is and how inevitably it's where things are going. We are all obviously going to be in more of a digital future than we already are. Definitely. And Rob, I, I guess to start it all off, I, I and you, you can, you can uh, leave out whatever you don't want to say. Um, when did you first start getting into crypto? Um, gosh, I, I think there's a, two different ways to think about it. Uh, the first way being that when did I mentally get into it? Like when did I start exploring it and trying to get a sense of what was the whole idea behind it? And then secondly, when did I start actually backing uh, my, my, my thoughts with, you know, conviction and money and thinking, you know what, there's, there's actually some subs- something of substance here that's worth, um, worth actually putting money behind. Um, the first part being mentally. Um, I started exploring it around 2009, funnily enough, directly after the GFC. Um, there was just some sort of obscure groups that were on, you know, Reddit and forums like that where they were, um, you know, they were just blown away how the governments around the world dealt with um, the squandering of billions and perhaps trillions of dollars by big corporations, mainly banks and um these groups were just outraged by it, and so they started exploring things outside of the financial system as we knew them. But I didn't take it too seriously. I was always just sort of somewhat intrigued by it. And then over the years, you just sort of keep monitoring it, keep looking at it. And um, I think I started um, really putting myself uh, into it in, in a physical form, so money. Um, a few years ago, to be honest, I, I sort of, whilst I saw that it had potential, I, I'm not sure that I fully thought that it would survive, whether governments would allow it to survive and people would back it. And, um, but isn't that the point of it that the governments don't get to control whether it survives? Yeah. Um, the reality is, is that they, they, the governments did have an opportunity very early on. And they didn't take it seriously enough, and now that opportunity is gone. Um, it's the, it's now a truly global network, and there is you know no way for them to to sort of shut it down. Um, I'm not talking about any particular crypto, um, because there are some that can absolutely be shut down. But um, I'm talking specifically about Bitcoin, which is um, 
essentially the first cryptocurrency. It's the one that everyone knows the most. And, um, you know, there's plenty of people who think it's outdated and will be replaced. And it probably, you know, it could possibly happen, but um, it's not going to be shut down. There's, it's uncensorable and it's, uh, it's, um, it, it's, uh, permissionless basically there's there's no there's no ceo there's no board of directors of bitcoin it's it's a truly decentralized network i mean they just basically shut down um a lot of the uh, people in china who were dealing with it the chinese government essentially came down and took all their computers and it essentially just slowed the bitcoin network down for two weeks until the uh until it readjusted itself and then it carried on as normal I remember watching that dip when that happened. So that was not them suppressing Bitcoin as a technology. That was them actually suppressing the people that were using it by either seizing their computers or slowing their local internet down. It wasn't they were directly affecting Bitcoin, correct? Correct. They, yeah. So okay. what happened? So, I mean, there's a number of reasons. And I, I, I couldn't possibly get into all of them right now because a lot of that dip was due to... Um, uh, you know, traders trading Bitcoin day to day and essentially their positions being liquidated. So that's a different story altogether. And like I said, you couldn't possibly get into that discussion. But the dip that is what we call hash rate. So the processing power of Bitcoin, um, the hash rate went down due to, uh, funnily enough, it was, they said it was a, a big power outage across a particular um, province in China where uh, a huge number of um, Bitcoin miners were located. Um, that processing power essentially shut down the ability for transactions to take place in that area. It didn't shut them down globally. Because of the power trans- consumption? No, no, it had nothing to do with Bitcoin. It was um, an outage due, I believe it was flooding. I think flooding took place. It took down a power station or a power grid rather, Um and there's a huge pool of miners in that particular province in China that were took, uh, taken down. Um, and it just, it just um, essentially, uh, it diverted that processing to have to take place elsewhere on, you know, on the planet. And, and it successfully did that, but it's, um, it slows down transactions t- transaction times. Um, and uh, that's what you'll see as a dip. A lot of people freaking out and thinking, oh, the, the world is... The world is going to end, you know, um, you know, essentially a lot of traders trying to get out of their positions very quickly. I mean, it, it did. <clears throat> it hurt. It brought down everything because, I mean, essentially the entire market is tied to the success or failure of Bitcoin, or at least it was at the time. Uh, we've noticed like certain certain coins that have been pulling away from the, the whole Bitcoin standard, um, specifically like XRP seems to slightly move independently at times it it did this past week actually but then it does kind of snap back into shape you know and move along with bitcoin from time to time but a a lot of that and this is kind of something that's really interesting to me and it kind of got me thinking the last time we spoke was a lot of people think of crypto as a day trading platform you know you wait till it goes up and then you sell it then you buy back in and it's low And, and it can be and a lot of people are very successful doing so but there's that there's that secondary mindset that really intrigues me about it is the buy it and hold it and never get rid of it ever. 
And yeah. when, you, when you told me about that, I was like, shit, man. So you're telling me like, <laughs> I'm going to have to sit here. You know, the pucker factor is going to be incredible first off, but then I'm going to have to sit here and wait till it just balloons and, and people accept it as just being that price. And so then before, you can borrow against it. You know, it's. So before we get into the reasons why somebody would want to get into a cryptocurrency and look at it as an investment to make money on or look at it as a possible new currency going into the future that they're not going to go back. Before we get to that, Rob, would you try to explain to people out there what a cryptocurrency is in a very, very basic format? Because we have a lot of people in you know, our listener base that have potentially heard the word Bitcoin, but they have no idea what it is anything like that. I mean, is there a very basic explanation? Cause I'm terrible with that. Cause I get, I try to um, get more articulate than I need to be, I guess. I, I think, um, before you answer that question, you, you need to understand what money is. Um, and money has particular properties about it that are, you know, um, that make that, that can make it, uh, either succeed or fail. And the thing about, uh, Bitcoin that made it, uh, you know, potentially money in the eyes of many was that it had a lot of the properties of what what money should be. Um, it was uncensorable. Um, it was basically a medium of exchange between people. So people could, ha- you know, assign a, a net value to it. Um, it was divisible as well. So essentially you could divide it down to, well, I mean, with the case of Bitcoin, to the 100th, 100 millionth, um, um, so that's, it doesn't have a lot of value right now, but if the price of Bitcoin grows significantly enough, um, you know, the, the divisibility factor is intense. What's the other thing? Um, it needs to be, uh, transportable. So for instance, gold bars have value, but it's not easily transportable. You can't, you know, readily just load your car up with your net worth and leave. Whereas, uh, typically speaking, um, one of the really good values of money is that it should be that there's a whole lot of other things and people can read really good books on them and i can reference a few as well that give people a sort of snapshot into why it is but to get to your point sean about what is crypto crypto essentially in the bitcoin sense was it solved a problem that people had tried to do forever and that was it solved a double spend problem so forever there was a double spend problem in digital currency uh, essentially you know, if you think about it like an MP3 file or a JPEG, I could have one on my computer and I could copy it and send it to you. And then all, all of a sudden there was two that existed. And then, you know, that could multiply if, you know, you decided to send it to somebody and we needed to, they needed to solve the double spend problem. Yeah, it's the um, aspect, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So what they, what, what came about essentially was the use of a brand new technology called blockchain technology. And that blockchain technology essentially allowed for a ledger to take place amongst nodes on the network. So a, a transaction would only be valid once all nodes reach consensus. But here's the cool thing about it is that once they reach consen- consensus and that block was put into the blockchain, it is there forever. It can't be reversed. It can't be refunded it's a it's a valid transaction for for eternity 
Um, well, it's a digital so, paper trail all over the world proving that that is yours, isn't it not? Correct. But that's one of the things that's not currently uh, available in our, you know, a lot of people think, why do you need a digital currency? I can always send you money via uh, PayPal or via a bank, you know, peer-to-peer transfer via a bank. But that, but that's not immutable. That's not a ledger of truth. They can always refund that. They can always cancel that transaction like it never took place. Um, and so that leads potential problems for, you know, corruption or someone censoring it or someone giving, you know, you needing permission to make that transaction. So I won't name the company involved right now, but there's a big company that does a lot of peer-to-peer transactions. They act as that middleman between companies, uh, between peers. Um, And they're essentially now giving permission as to what you can buy or who you can transact with. Yeah, we've Um, had to deal with that in the pipe industry already. Yep. This uh, well, I was referencing that company as well, yeah, so yeah. Um, I just don't want to mention them on the podcast, yeah, obviously. No, but funny. you know, can you imagine uh, just the audacity that you would need permission from a third party to be able to send somebody else money? Well, that's our it's entire like, hold world on a sec. right now, though. Everything's being censored. You can say this, you can't say that. You can buy this, you can't buy that. I mean, that completely proves why we need a cryptocurrency yeah. as the potential for. The only currency. Um, I, I'd say that the way I think about it is it, it's, it doesn't prove why we need a cryptocurrency. It proves why it will be successful, if that makes sense. So it proves that does. the point of that, that, that people who, who don't want to have to seek permission to do commerce with someone will, will find an alternate way. They will endorse and support what works. And um, it's already working. We know, I mean... If you if you have a look at the money flow around the world, there's plenty of legitimate transactions that are taking place on crypto networks. Now, there's all sorts of regulatory things that I think will come into play that will make it more successful. All right. Well, what are your thoughts on, you know, people like most people are obviously using this for legal, very benign reasons. But what about people using it for, I don't know, uh, like sex trafficking or drugs or you know other illicit activities yeah i mean it's a perfectly legitimate concern that that has been in existence since day one and um, a lot of it comes down to misinformation a lot of people are being told or, or have a belief that this is used for illicit you know um uh commerce um or, or perhaps criminal activity um, and, and it can be, and it certainly um, I wouldn't be surprised if it is to some extent. But um, one of the things about the blockchain um, as it relates specifically to Bitcoin is that it is a fully transparent ledger. Anybody can get on right now and have a look at every transaction that has ever taken place. Now, of course, you can't tell who owns that particular um, wallet address. But, um, you know, there's plenty of high-level government, uh, you know, departments that it wouldn't take too much of a stretch for them to be able to work out um, who owns what wallet or where that money's going. Um, so unlike a normal bank or a normal sort of transaction or, or cash peer-to-peer where you can't tell where the money's moving, um, every single transaction, bar none, that has ever taken place in the Bitcoin blockchain is there for all to see and will be there forever. Now that, that sounds simple. that sounds scary to some people, and that kind of sounds like oh well, it's none of their fucking business. 
And you're right, it's not. But I think people should also really enjoy the, I guess, safety of that too, because there's a lot of positives with everything being tracked every step of the way and all these different computers being able to you know, verify that this was an actual transaction because if there is an, in, an issue, it just the way the software works is almost like an insurance policy for you personally. Look, it's the, 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 the whole system is designed to protect itself and it's designed to protect against attack. Um, and so, and it's, it's never been hacked. Um, and uh, part of that comes down to, you know, there's bulletproof code and, you know, developers that are constantly monitoring for um, for possibility of attack. And, um, yeah, it's one of those few that has never been attacked. Well, sorry, it has been attacked, but it's never been successfully taken down is what I should say. Everyone's always trying to attack it. I mean, that's the nature of something that's successful. People always try to attack. But um, whether or not they're going to be successful, time will tell. But uh, there's no sign of, you know, penetrating the uh, fortress yet. But... Um, in relation to the anonymity of, um, you know, uh, what, uh, transactions taking place, everything's, you know, anonymous as far as assigning uh, each particular person with a transaction. There's just an address. Um, but it is becoming more normal, uh, certainly where I live in Australia, and it's becoming more normal in the US and certainly Great Britain, um, where governments will require people to KYC, um, if they would like to use exchanges. So, you know, there's currently big exchanges where you can buy and sell uh, cryptocurrency. Um, and essentially, you know, the big Western countries realise that it's futile to try and stop people, you know, using uh, cryptos. So essentially what they're doing is saying, okay, well, if we can't stop them using it, let's try and at least monitor what they're doing. I, I don't think there's any way around that. Um you know, if you want to try and stay outside of the government, good luck. It's uh, it's it's kind of uh, uh, it, it can be perilous to to muck around and try and uh, be anonymous to the government. That's for sure. Well, I just well, think gets, people not it, need to not do illegal shit. Yeah, one. yeah. Well, I mean, and part of that illegal shit um, is paying your taxes. Government want you to pay your taxes. I mean, I get that. That's that's how they that's their business model. So. Um, yeah, but you know, that's be a good citizen. Slavery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Be be a, be a good citizen. Um, do all the right things. Don't do illegal shit, and um, life's going to be pretty easy for you. It's yeah, when you the... want to start. Go ahead, I was going to say it's when you want to start towing the line with uh, with the government, or you know, just all of that sort of stuff. I think that's when uh, things can get tricky and unnecessarily complicated. And you just end up digging yourself a greater hole. Eventually, they'll catch you, you know. But on, well, on like I, totally on the legal side of things, though, like I actually believe it or not, uh, I, well, I I love XRP. I'm an XRP guy. You're more of a Bitcoin guy, and we love our bantering because of that. But I recently did a XRP transfer um, with one of my retailers, and you know it was a four digit bill, and. Uh, we sent the money from one wallet to another and it was astonishing. Like this is, yep. this is the, the real use of XRP is the transferability. It can handle, handle, I forget how many trans transfers per second. It is incredibly Thousands. fast. I think it thousands. Like it's ridiculous. A couple thousand, right? 
and and it'll do it it'll do it in like two seconds three seconds tops right so yep. they pressed basically transfer now it's it's almost it's almost impossible to to take someone's information and transfer it right i mean it's it's possible but it's very difficult because you've got not only the exchange app that you're using you've got your uh, passphrase, which is the ultimate way to recover everything from a wallet. If you lose that, you lose all everything. There's no way to recover that. So what a lot of people do is they'll, you know, punch it into uh, or laser engrave it into a piece of metal and bury it. Or, you know, they do. And, and that way it'll stand the test of time because that ultimately is your way into your wallet. Um, and then when you do log into the exchange, you need an authenticator app. Because a lot of them require two-step verification, and the authenticator Which is app changes. A good idea. It's a great idea, but you know it changes every fifteen seconds. The number changes every like fifteen seconds, so it's almost unhackable, right? Um, and it's a third-party second fact, you know, two-factor authentication. Like it's it's very difficult to do to do it. But if you have it in your hands, you have access to it. It's very relatively easy for now. I'm sure eventually that will change possibly to like a, a biometric system or, or something that will be a little more user-friendly. Um, but basically they pressed go, you know, transfer, and it was in my wallet in three seconds. Yep. I didn't need a bank. And, and they were on the other side of the world, weren't they? They were on the other side of the world and they didn't, we didn't need a bank. We didn't have to deal with uh, you know, any sort of inputting addresses. There was, you know, there is a record of it because I need to keep it legal for my own business. So it comes in and then I transfer it in my business account uh, immediately. And that has to be like the only transaction crypto wise I do that day just to make it a lot easier for bookkeeping. Um, but now that I'm essentially holding till, you know, doomsday and probably beyond that there won't be any transfers really, but it is frighteningly easy to use this system and it is super super fast so as far as it being easy to use i on the other hand would would not really agree with that and maybe i haven't looked into it too much i have not tried to transfer my crypto out of crypto into a bank so yeah but you've transferred it from one wallet to an exchange i mean well i did that that. i did that but i I also just i bought a bunch and i haven't touched it because that was kind of the plan go ahead I was going to say, like you said, it, you sort of object a little bit to it being easy to use. And I kind of get that. Like, it, it can be intimidating when you first think about doing a transaction. You kind of think to yourself, oh, wow, is this going to work? Or, you know, am I getting this wrong? Or, you know, like, what happens if it's lost? There is a little bit of a learning curve. But I would sort of use the analogy of an ATM. Like, no one sort of thinks twice about using an ATM now because we've all learned how to use it. Let's say you wanted to put a deposit into an ATM. You're about to put $100 into a hole in the wall. Like, holy cow, I hope this works. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a good like, point. I'm going to think about and that it's the next time like, I go to you, an ATM. But, but, the, but, but the point is you've, you've built up a level of competence through experience that gives you trust that that will work. Yeah. Um, and... I think like anything, if, if you just give it some time as well as have a, a, a desire to want to sort of learn it in the first place, then I, you will pick it up pretty quickly. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but listen, if Chris can do it, you can do it, dude. Yeah. I'm not that brave. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not worried about me doing it. But so you, my you concern can... is overall, 
if all of us want crypto to go to the moon and be this amazing thing, it's going to need a mass adoption globally. So what is so (laughs) or an artificial burn? Okay. So what is the next step in making it as easy as going to the store and using your debit card? That's that's the point I was trying to make though. Like there is another option here. Uh, Coinbase, for example, now has a card. So all you have to do is fund your account, and you can spend that card as if uh, you were spending money with a credit card. Yeah, but that's uh, a centralized Lowe's. site, though, isn't right. it? They can just shut it down. They already did that this last year. Yeah, that's they, a great point, Sean. That's a that really a good, good point. point. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing: is that they are acting as a third party knowingly. Um, you can do commerce without that third party. They're just giving you a medium that allows it to be easier. You don't have to go that way. You know, so um, there are going to be people who see the opportunities and think, oh, you know what, I'll give people a a card that makes it easier for them. PayPal have done it as well. So they're acting like Windows instead of Mac. They're trying to make things all point and click and super easy, but there is a whole other way of doing things. Uh, I think what they've done is they've seen a business opportunity that says, hey, look, we understand that not everybody wants to have a crypto wallet. Um, and and that goes into another sort of um, discussion as well. I mean, different kind of crypto wallets. But um, they've seen an opportunity there where people don't necessarily want to be custodians for their own cash, um, which, funnily enough, is one of the core principles of why I like Bitcoin is that you are your own custodian. However... They've seen an opportunity that sort of says that not everyone wants to be that, and so that you know they'll um, they'll give you a platform that allows you to do that. Okay, and that that makes sense, and I could see how a lot of people would be okay with that. Um, yeah, I see why a be. lot of people wouldn't at the same time because we've seen like with Coinbase, they not to sorry to throw them under the bus, but uh, you know they directly shut down a couple of cryptocurrencies. And a couple of the stocks just because they could. Yeah. So a lot of that was the fear, though. I mean, they they don't want to be complicit. They've got their own exchange to run. And, and maybe it was nefarious. Maybe it wasn't. No one's ever going to know. Um, but you, you do. You literally can transfer Bitcoin from one computer to the other without anyone being in the middle. It is quite complicated from what I understand. Well, I'll, I'll correct you a little bit there. You, you don't even need a computer. Um, there's actually, um, you know, there's a, there's an education process that's taking place, but you know, a lot of, I, I read this week, funnily enough on Twitter, there was, you know, quite a high profile banker and she was saying, oh, you know, Bitcoin won't work because, you know, what are the chances that the person who's sending Bitcoin and the person who's receiving Bitcoin will have their computers on at the same time? And, you know, that's not going to happen and, you know, it won't, won't be successful. And, well, the point is that um, uh, the computers don't need to be on at the same time. You don't actually ever hold your Bitcoin. That's another misconception is that your Bitcoin is on the blockchain. You don't yeah. hold your Bitcoin. All you do is have keys to your Bitcoin. So, And the blockchain's on Mars, right? Uh, as the far as we know. Ex- <laughs> the blockchain could be on Mars. <laughs> it, it's everywhere. It's... um. It's a it's a huge network, but it's uh, Skynet. Yeah, it's look. It's um, it's a really cool um, rabbit hole that I that um, 
that's opening up. There's a lot of people like you were talking before, Sean, and I'll sort of go back to it about adoption. Um, the adoption curve at the moment is just exponentially growing. Number of new users every single day is just skyrocketing. I'm not talking about new users who are actively on exchanges buying Bitcoin. They may have just set up a wallet and received Bitcoin. They may have never actually ever purchased one in their entire life. Or they can, you know, go onto a phone, download a wallet app, and you could receive Bitcoin right now. You know, so you don't actually need to have any to, to receive any. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just incredible to think that we are on the brink of a new currency. I mean, that that is a huge thing. I mean, our entire world is ran by currency in one form or another. And the fact that we're, you know, talking about a digital gold, essentially, instead of trading seashells or bottle caps or something is amazing. And it's not just yeah. currency, too. It's, I mean, blockchain technology can be applied to all sorts of stuff. And it is correctly. Yeah. Voting would be an ideal use case for it, I think. Um, Oh, absolutely. You've got, I mean, everything can be applied to that, you know, for things to be ultra secure and and unhackable. Yeah. And, and again, if, um, if you sort of think about, well, you know, why is it going to be successful? I mean, just because somebody invents something or a company puts something to market doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. Um, it's going to require adoption for it to be successful. And um, it's already being widely adopted throughout, um, you know, uh, many parts of the world for all sorts of things, all the way from, you know, the transaction of house sales um, you know, doing the contracts, of, you know, um, transferring ownership of property. Um, th- there's all sorts of applications on what they call secondary and tertiary layers of the blockchains. Um, and there's also other networks out there pushing for it right now. There's, you know, different uh, tokens and coins, and they are somewhat different to Bitcoin, integrally different in that they are centralized and not decentralized. Well, every other um, day I see a, another article in the news talking about, how, or I guess the news, I mean social media, that another central bank has created their own CBDC or central bank cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's another can of worms as well. It's a it's a huge rabbit hole. Um, I was listening to a podcast just this morning um, it, and I thoroughly recommend it to anyone who's interested. It's called What is Money by a guy called Robert Breedlove. But one of the um, guests that he had on, in fact, his latest guest um, from this week, um, you know, an Austrian economics expert, um, and he's sort of looking at blockchain now saying that he actually thinks it has the capacity to, to last hundreds of years as far as um, human invention that has longevity. And um, when you think about it, it's kind of cool to think that we're right there at the beginning of when this uh, this sort of virgin technology started to take a hold. I think it's pretty amazing to think that we're actually there right now. Well, think about how long we've used the the swipe on the or the little stripe on the back of your credit card. Yeah, or Swift. Or yeah. Well, Swift is forty years old. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the scary thing, and you know. Everyone thinks that Swift is, you know, I could send money overseas. That's pretty cool. But, you know, when you start thinking about the fact that that transaction could cost 
you know, a hundred bucks and it might take four days to clear. Yeah, and it does. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like you start to realize how outdated it is and um, yeah. having, you know, requiring permission and a third party to do, you know, commerce with someone when, when yeah. there's technology that exists that makes it possible to do without. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of cool. Well, I and, think that's and, a I mean, lot of the reason there's so much pushback too from certain companies and certain, you know, industries, I guess, because they've been the king. I mean, Swift, for those that don't know, is the basic, you know, money transfer cross, you know, crossing borders all over the world. And it basically hops from bank to bank. And each one of those banks that gets, you know, that assists in the transfer gets a little piece of the pie. That's why it's so, so expensive. But you've also got all the time that that takes. And so there's a, I, Rob, I'm sure you can come up with the number, but it's a billions and billion dollar industry for oh, no, well, um, just before the, the sort of, yeah, oh, like, like, I've seen the numbers and it's boggling. But when you think, you know, let's say, for instance, somebody in Nigeria wanted to send money to somebody in Argentina, it's not just the crossing the borders, but it's also the currency conversions and the trails that would need to take place um, for that to happen. Yeah. Um, and even though we in the Western countries don't think that way, um, we actually represent a very, very small percentage of people who do, you know, s send money from one another overseas. And we're lucky. We can pretty much just use the base layer USD mm -hmm. and I can send AUD to USD pretty quickly. But that convenience doesn't really exist for countries outside of first world countries. Yeah. And There's hundreds um, it's of different currencies, especially oh in my Asia. God. It's, it's that I, I was, like I said, I was, or like you said, like we're constantly picking up and learning new information every day on this, but like there's, there's, there's multiple currencies within countries sometimes even, and you end up having Just to transfer. Just languages. It's yeah, it does work on the same basis as, as languages and dialects and everything. And uh, that was one of the things that sprung up for me. I mean, Bitcoin being sort of like the the new gold, I consider XRP to be the transfer system, but also the new silver in a sense. And that's not the best correlation, but watching how how quickly that transfer took place and how seamless it was, and then finding out that well, Thailand. And a bunch of other countries, there's a lot of uh, countries in Africa that use XRP as a cross-border transfer system um, in Asia. And uh, I just found out today, I don't, I don't know if this is 100% factually accurate. It's just something I heard. Uh, B of A is on the board of governance for XRP, for Rep Ripple now. And that's in addition to Rosie Rios moving uh, from being the former treasurer of the U.S., to the uh, board of directors for Ripple also. So her name going from being on all this money, U.S. currency, and now she's on the board of what could potentially be the new cross-border transfer system eventually. There's there's just a lot of weird stuff going around, and it, it kind of it makes me all excited. But hearing today that, that B of A is on their governance board was kind of like, hmm. Yeah, it's... um. I guess that's one of the things that I haven't uh, come to terms with yet, and I fully respect that that's something that you have. You've done the due diligence there, but um, I'm still not fully sold on centralized networks because, um, yeah. you know, 
I've lived my whole life under a centralized network. It's called the bank. <laughs> yeah. And I really, I really just, um, you know, looking at 2008 and when all these banks get bailed out from all their misdemeanors and all of this, that and everything else, I'm kind of just, I am enamored with Bitcoin um, just because of what it represents from that decentralized thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that property of being truly decentralized is something that, um, that, that I find very, very powerful. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know that I, that I do hold other cryptos as well. Um, but I will admit I probably hold them from somewhat more of a speculative view than a functional view. Um, Bitcoin, you know, is, is something I hold from a principled point of view. Um, so, yeah. And that makes sense. Oh. And I, I, I completely respect your decision to do so. I think we're, we're the inverse of each other, you know. Um, look, it's the, it's, it's, it, we're, we're eating at the same restaurant. We just chose different meals, right? Yeah. I, I, I wanted, uh, I wanted the steak and you got the uh, lamb. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, the lamb's good here. Yeah, I'll bet. But I just, I, I kind of, you know, to kind of make it, I mean, we talk about this back and forth all the time and and Rob and I like to, you know, shoot, you know, across the bow quite a bit with this, but it's all really the same animal. It's, it's moving forward to a new payment system, a new way of holding wealth, a new way of transferring wealth and, you know. And storing and and storing wealth. Storing and also accumulating. As yeah. as this grows, I mean, people did say, and I I remember seeing the news article because I remember my dad talking about it mm-hmm. uh, because he worked in the electronics business, and I'm in Silicon Valley, so it's like it was everywhere. But when I was a kid, it, the internet was not a thing, and there was a big news article that popped up locally, and it was like the internet seems to be a fad, and no one's ever going to adopt it, and. 90% of the people on earth have some sort of connection to the internet, even if they're rural, even if they live. I saw a photo of a, uh, I, I want to say it was Maasai, but it, it was some, it was an African tribesman out like tending his goats or something. And this dude was hanging out with a spear and the whole bit. And he had a cell phone. I mean, it is it is literally the way the world is run. And I think it's as That's good amazing. as it is bad. It's, it's really true. It's fascinating because we are at the precipice of something that is going to – I'm not going to go as far as saying that everyone's going to get rich who gets in on this because that's not the case. Not everyone got rich off the internet. And it shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't. And it can't be. It, that's the way that you know this works is it can't be. A lot of people are going to be like, well, shit, I wish I would have invested in that. My grandma always says, oh, I wish I would have, you know, bought Coca-Cola in the 40s, you know, and, and it's just the way it goes. Not everyone can can capitalize on that. But just this the sense of being able to freely transfer. Um, now, I'm not going to even go there with it. I'm going to we'll go back to the, the Bitcoin verse, specifically a centralized uh, coin like like XRP or, or Ripple, however you want to put it. I like that it's centralized because the banks like that it's centralized. The banks don't like Bitcoin by and large. It's not something that they can control. Therefore, it's not something that they're going to like. Um, and, and I'm not trying to debate you on this. I get, mm-hmm. I, I get the use of both. And that is why most people 
most people are into Bitcoin. Um, some people are into XRP, but I like the transferability of XRP. I like the speed at which yeah, it moves. Yeah, yeah. It's that, and that that is um, it's called uh, it's caused a lot of division even within the Bitcoin community. Um, I think it was 2017. There was a big split in the community um, where part of the community wanted to take it more into a centralized uh, method, a bit like XRP, and the other uh, part of the group said, no, that's crap. That's going to give up a lot of the things that we like about Bitcoin, Yeah, uh, essentially the decentralization and the security of the network. And so there was a fork, a fork in the network that took place. Um, that fork still exists, and it's called Bitcoin Cash. Um, I'm not going to call it a failure. It's still got a pretty good market cap, but um, it it hasn't done what Bitcoin's done. So um, well, almost the other thing I like has done what Bitcoin's done. I mean, I remember when I had an opportunity. Oh no, there's some that have done at, better. <laughs> well, I had an opportunity to buy Bitcoin at three dollars a share when I was in college, but the person yep. I was talking to at the time said that I had to buy like five hundred dollars worth, and I wasn't going to do that because I knew nothing about it. And looking back on it, I would be. I'd be sitting really pretty right now. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's when was the right time to buy Amazon? Or you know, co- um, he met, uh, Chris mentioned Coca Cola before. I mean, yeah. it's kind of like, oh well, you know, yesterday. When's the next best time? Probably today. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it could still be yeah. wildly undervalued. No one knows where exactly. You know, go. so I kind of think that that's you know if. if where I'm placing my conviction is correct, then I still think we are early. Um, I think that if the adoption is extremely early, um, the world starts doing what we think it's going to do as far as adoption, then, yeah, we are early. It doesn't really matter um, where we're at. All that, all that matters is where we're going. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a bus that's moving. It's going to keep moving whether we like it or not. It's just whether you choose to get on board or not. But eventually, everyone's going to get on board if that's the way that um, that you know things are done. Um, it, it's um, you, you did mention that point before, though, uh, Sean. That I just wanted to mention. You said, "Oh, you know that uh, it's, you know, there have been people who have objected to it." But you generally find that the people who object to something, or the groups that object to something, are the ones who have most to lose or stand to lose the most. So if you have a look when Henry Ford invented the automobile, you know, the, the companies that produced horse and carts and all those sort of transport things, they, they were up in arms. They were saying that the automobile's a dangerous thing. It should be outlawed. Don't allow it. Well, how did that go for them? And um, move the clock forward, you know, shipping companies and cruise, sh- uh, cruise ships, they were saying that, you know, airlines were dangerous. You shouldn't travel overseas with airlines because, you know, people are going to die and, well, that didn't sort of go too well. And then, you know, you move the clock forward again and uh, Blockbuster, you know, they dug their heels in when Netflix came along and no, you know, it's not going to happen. I think the point that I'm trying to make is that you can object to technology all you like, but if, if the masses adopt it, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen. So when you have banks and governments who say, we don't want you to, you know, use this. Um, we want you to use what we've provided you for all of these years. That's when you should really... look the other way. Exactly. If, if you have the groups who are objecting to it, um, 
loudly objecting and trying to put in place all sorts of restrictions and um, mandates and laws to prevent you using it, it's it's probably a, a really good time to start looking at it a little bit closer. Yeah. Wait, are we talking about crypto fearful, right? or everything else going on in the world? Because it sounds like the same moral to the story. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Actually, it's a really good point. Um, but you know, I think as long as you keep an open mind towards all points of view, then you, at least you can make a you know uh, a decision based on points of view that might be varied. Um, whereas you know, you, it's it is dangerous to get stuck in the echo chamber, and I sometimes find myself guilty of it. I'll surround myself with you know all these forums and inter- internet sites that I'll visit, you know daily and have a look at and you know all of a sudden i find that my perception is being skewed so if i'm looking at crypto stuff and people saying that xrp this or bitcoin that or ethereum this i just try and stand back and have a sort of more balanced approach to it and um rather than just remaining you know with my heels stuck in the ground as you know where they currently are a lot of times a lot of times your gut is actually going to be your best friend your body you, you know your brain knows there's a lot of some subconscious stuff going on in there that we don't even, you know, take note of on a daily basis. And the gut feeling thing is, is great unless your gut is like a failure. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like (laughs) if you're constantly going with your gut and you're making bad decisions, don't, don't go with your gut. Um, And none of this I will, I would like to say is financial advice. You do your own research and Absolutely. Get in on it if you want. Just like we've said in past, like none of this stuff will be medical or financial or whatever advice. Um, you know, we are professionals in in our own fields. Uh, none of us are doctors, and none of us are financial advisors. So, um, Rob is a little closer to to that than we are, but he's not a financial advisor. So, I'm no, looking at in fact, it. Um- Quite the opposite. I just I'd like to point out that when people start quizzing me about this and asking for my points of view, my number one answer is you know start doing some research, start looking into it, start educating yourself. Um, so yeah, it's a good point you make. Don't listen and to I anything mean, I have to say. No, I th- I think listening and 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 using as you know the the word of Rob as we'll call it is, is another thing. You know, don't, don't do that. But it's estimated that 17% of the population in the U S holds some coin a crypto coin. Right. And, and they, they always use these numbers and they say Bitcoin. If I say it to anyone, uh, you know, Hey man, are you into crypto? No, I don't, I don't know what that Bitcoin stuff is. And it's like, well, there's literally hundreds of other coins that you can get into. There's stuff popping up on a daily basis and there's a there's a lot of in my own opinion there's a lot of shit coins as they are called you know there's there was the whole like and i'm the first to say it like i don't like doge i don't i think it's silly now the fact that it is silly is what drew a lot of people into it in the first place and then they made a lot of money doing it so then you know and then there's the bag holders and all that which can be done with anything there were bag holders for bitcoin right now when it when it hit its you know all time high I think that'll go back to go back to where it was. Um, now, f- for me, um, I don't plan on selling ever, so I'm not really super worried about where it goes on a daily basis. Even though I'm constantly bitching to Sean about like, "Oh, dude, it dropped like five cents," and he's like, <laughs> "Who cares?" You know. Um, but I, I think at the end of at the end of the day, you should always a good investing uh, mantra that you got to keep in mind is to be greedy when others are fearful and to be fearful when others are greedy. 
And, and that will kind of combine with your gut sense it, it, for some things. I'm not saying for everything, but that's that's the general investing tip that I kind of stick by on, on, on my own. Like right now, XRP takes a lot of crap. It does. I mean, there's a lot of people who are like, I hate, I hate XRP. It's stupid. You know, uh, Ripple owns half of the XRP in existence. Well, what happens if they decide to burn that? You know, which they they could, and it would be a great strategic move, and it would bump the numbers up. You'd see XRP as what possibly the fifth, seventh, largest, I believe today. What's at the seventh? But it would definitely put it yeah. into the fourth or fifth spot as the highest market cap at that point. You yeah. know, um, if they burned half, if if they just burned, I believe if they burned some, like they don't even have to burn half of it, um, and there will be a burn soon. So I. I expect the numbers to jump personally. Um, but to go off topic a little bit here, I'm sure people are bored if you're even still listening, but this is just <laughs> one aspect of, you know, we'll, we'll call it uh, not full on prepping, not full on, um, you know, I, I don't like the word survivalist personally. Preparation. Preparation. Preparation is not just, a bad word. Being prepared, you know, like making sure that you have enough water or food or, you know, you have a generator, you know, like lots of places went without power this year. Chris or is stuff, like an extremist. St- stuff as basic as, as uh, like N95s, right? So last year, before the fires happened, I tend to keep on hand N95s because I don't always want to wear a respirator. Um, I do get allergies seasonally and I do like to do a lot of gardening. So if I'm digging up dirt and I'm stirring up pollen, I don't really want to deal with sinus infections all the time. Or if I just have a quick job that I have to do where I'm sanding something, I'll just throw on a mask. I had N95s last year. And then as soon as the fires happened in California, I was in the very center of three gigantic forest fires. One of which, one of the biggest, was very close to me to the point where we were receiving tentative evacuation notices. Like, be ready to leave if we send an evacuation notice. Um and I had a, a few friends that were local that did have to evacuate. Thank God none of them really lost their homes, but a lot of people lost everything in these fires. Yep. A lot more people were heavily affected by the smoke. Right now, I'm looking outside, and it looks like it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, I mean, it's 7 o'clock at night, so I mean, that's not a big thing. But the sun is still out. It just looks dark. Um, it was orange all day today. You could smell like the thick you know, smell of smoke. And that's actually why I probably sound a little congested because it does irritate me. But um, I had N95s to the point where my family, like my brothers, my mom were like, hey, can I have an N95? Because they didn't prepare ahead of time. If you live in an area where there are forest fires, you should always have N95s. You know, if you live in an area that that sometimes experiences drought, you should have water stored in 60-gallon drums somewhere, you know, or a pond or a swimming pool, you know. Um, you should know how to make a fire if you need to, you know, if you are in a place where you can do that. So you can cook food if there's no power or no gas or something. These, these are just very simple things. This is not like I have a bunker. You don't need to have a bunker. You don't need to have uh, – you don't even need to have survival food of any sort. Like freeze-dried food is awesome. But if you just have canned food, that that works fine too. Like it's very easy to get started in this. 
I find that a lot of the people who aren't prepared for things come down to one of two groups. And this is so, so the first group is usually people who think that that calamity could never happen or that situation should would never present itself. Yeah. And so therefore they should never need to be prepared. And the second group are people who always feel that, well, if the calamity does happen, there'll be somebody there to look out for me anyway. Yep. And I'm like, well, what happens if, you know, A, that calamity does happen and you're not prepared, or B, the people that you were hoping would help aren't there to help or aren't capable of helping? Where are you then? Well, and I think people change drastically in situations such as calamity, let's say, and the person that you might have thought that you could rely on to help you is probably not going to be there in the same capacity that they were. I mean, lots of people say, oh, yeah, I'll be there for you. And then how many times do they actually show up when you need to move your house? Or, you know, just basic shit like that. I mean... What happens if the the person that you're relying on is not a person? What if it's an organization? What if it's a... A bureaucracy of some sort. Um, that's, well, that's when it gets silly. tricky. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like so. I guess um, I've always sort of felt like I was. Uh, I, I felt it felt more natural to be independent and somewhat self-sovereign, um, and not having to rely on people to provide or, or organisations to provide. Now, sure, time could come where I might very well need that, but I've always wanted to make sure that I didn't need to rely on anybody else and, um, you know, so sort of prepared myself as best as I could with all sorts of things. And that kind of is the segue to, I guess, the the whole reason I started looking at crypto a little bit more seriously is I didn't want to have to rely on, you know, uh, a bank to give me money if I went there. Like, what happened if I went to the bank? And they said, no, well, you know what, that, that money that you've got put in there, um, we can't give it all to you, but we can give you some of it today and you can come back maybe in six weeks' time and get a bit more. Um, well, we already uh, have that with ATMs. I don't know how it is over there in Australia, but here, for the most part, you can't take more than about $300 out of an ATM a day. I don't know. Yep. If that's very no, common no, here. Same, some yeah. are some yeah. are 200 I mean, that is crazy. Now, I understand that... It's an ATM that they're trying to be able to service the most amount of people so they don't want one person to go in and drain the whole machine. I get that. But that same concept transfers to a lot of things. I mean, what if tomorrow you go into a bank and say, hey, I can't give you any money because you don't have a a certain type of piece of cloth on your face? Um, Well, it's happening right now around the world in a few countries. I mean, but it's not happening because of, um, you know, people – their, their situations, you know, whether it be a, cl- a piece of cloth on their face, it's happening more just that, you know, people are turning up at the bank to get their money out because they're losing confidence in the banks and the banks just don't have it. Go and have a look at what's happening in Lebanon right now. I mean, you know, th- th- those people are in the streets and anyone who had money in the bank, well, their money's gone. It's It's gone. The banks have taken it. Governments have taken it. It's unlikely to happen here in the Western countries, and um, but God, you know, I mean, you guys had it happen in 1971. Oh, sorry, not 1971. That was when we went off the gold standard in the 30s. You know, um, so prior to the 30s, U.S. citizens um, essentially 
you know, woke up to a news story one day that said that it was illegal for US citizens to own gold. I mean, look, it's at your own peril. I hope to God it never does happen. But, uh, you know, getting back to that whole point is be prepared. Like, what if it does? I, I've, I often say to people, um, I mean, because I've lived through a few wildfires here as well, and um, people thought I was crazy for preparing. And um, I said, look, worst case scenario is that I might have wasted my time being prepared, but I've never, ever heard someone say the words, gosh, you know, I wish I wasn't so damn prepared. <laughs> like, it just doesn't happen. That's hilarious. So it was like, that's what I say to people. Oh, you know, I, I'm sure you'll never ever hear me say those words. I'm, I wish I wasn't so damn prepared. Well, at the so- worst, you got like a couple of, you got a dozen extra cans of beans that you'll end up using. If you rotate your food properly, you don't, you won't even notice being prepared. You just don't have to go to the grocery store as often. Or, you know, our whole thing last year with the freaking toilet paper. And, and for me, being a paper towel aficionado, um, you know, like uh, toilet paper, man, I'll go through uh, a roll funny. like every week. Toilet paper is like, like when, when my, when my family's like, I don't know, out for the weekend or doing like a girl's trip or something, I, the paper towel or the toilet paper doesn't get changed, but the, the paper, the paper towels, I'll go through a roll a day easy. And I don't even know why it's just this, like i screw regular towel. I'm just gonna use a paper towel. It's very Chris wasteful. Can make- a hell, one hell of a paper plane out of a paper towel. Yeah, I, I just I, I if if you like, you should always have enough. Not just till your next trip to the store. You should just have enough to wear. And I, I'm not saying hoarding. You should not have 150 rolls of toilet paper in your garage, unless your situation dictates that. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, like, if if you. Like you, you know, only if you're going to prep stuff, if you're going to prep stuff, only prep stuff that you're actually going to use. I, I've, I had a friend that did this and he's like, oh man, I got like 60 cans of sardines. I'm like, do you like sardines? He's like, no, but if I had to eat them, I would. I was like, don't do that. You're never going to eat those. They, you just threw all that money away. Oh, like, it's like last year or I guess, yeah, I guess part of last year when you'd go to the store and there's not a single bag of flour or sugar it's like 90 percent of people who just bought that have never used raw flour for anything before and have no idea how to make bread so Do you know it's, it's actually like philosophically it's also a really interesting discussion as well like when you start seeing people buy stuff off the shelves that they've never ever bought in their lives before um and they're not going to know what to do with them whether it's sardines or flour or whatever else but it's, I think it's a human response of fear. Like they're just scared. And so it's kind of like I've just got to acquire whatever I can just in case. And I think part of being prepared means that whilst we're all scared, hopefully because you are prepared, you are less scared, you are less fearful. And so, it, you know, um, for people who are unprepared, their levels of fear are perhaps heightened. You know, they've got this heightened sense of anxiety and holy crap, I'm, I don't have this and I don't have that. I've got to get something. So it's um, being prepared is par- partly about alleviating or at least uh, suppressing your fear so that you can be rational. And well, it's know very that liberating. You, yeah, well, I, it's, it is liberating and it's also um, I'm surprised that more people don't do it, to be honest. Um, I wasn't to taught to way. do it. It's somewhat natural. It, it it is it is natural, and I mean it. It's 
the well, I have two points that are rolling around in my head right now. But like first, my grandma always used to can stuff, and on the West Coast, like you don't really ever hear about that anymore because we don't really get hurricanes and stuff. We get really bad freak incidents. We don't get them every year, but like if if sure. we get an earthquake, it's really bad. It doesn't happen often, but it's usually really bad. Uh, wildfires, they're really bad. But then if you go down to like you know the southeast or whatever, you got hurricanes. You've got uh, flooding and people down, you know, in that area, it's, it's a natural thing. The, the, the South tends to move at a, and the Midwest specifically, the South and Midwest tend to move at a certain pace where in California, that's not really the case in, in, you know, the main populated areas, it's not really the case. Like you don't have everyone canning or even knowing how to like skin a deer or uh, at the very least break down a primal cut of beef that's been prepared by the grocery store for a restaurant to break down. Like that's such a foreign way of thinking because we all think, well, what do you want to eat tonight? Okay. Well, I'll head over to the grocery store and I'll pick up the exact ingredients that I need for this dish and then we'll cook that and we're done. And, and you know, I don't mean any offense to the people that live like that because for a lot of people, that is the way that they live. You know, they, they have jobs, they don't have time to cook, whatever. But that's just a, a very small bit of this, you know. Um, now, with that said, like I said before, like I don't have a bunker. I don't have a way of, you know, keeping uh, keeping the food rolling for two years like some of like the more extreme uh, you know, prepper type people do. I just, I look at it from a very casual standpoint. Like if, if you're prepared on a daily, and I, on a daily basis and you're fine, but I even look at it on like a, like a specifically daily basis. Like if I am going out and I've mentioned this in the past episode, if I'm going out, I always have some form, depending on what I'm doing, some form of like first aid. I always have at least a liter of water. I always have, a bag of beef jerky. And that could be that I'm just happen happen to like, I don't know, you get a flat and you're like stuck on the side of the road and you're like, this sucks. It sucks less because I have jerky and water though. You know, it could be a lot yeah. worse. Yeah. Well, I was, um, I was sort of just picking up on a point that you just made before. Cause I was trying to relate it back to our, our original chat. But, um, you know, you said that your grandmother used to, uh, put away, food or tinned food ready for you know just in case uh, the same s- sort of um uh, mindset generally was there with older people as well as that you should save your money you should always put some money aside for a rainy day and that was all well and good when the money was you know a lot more sort of uh, rigid it had a lot more sort of substance about it but um these days um i really and honestly um believe and don't take this as financial advice. It's certainly not the case. But I think that holding your money is a mistake um, because if you know, if you just take the analogy, sorry, not the analogy. That's not the right word. If you just take the point that if you'd put, you know, let's say a thousand dollars away, if you'd put a thousand US dollars away in the year nineteen ninety one, that in the year twenty twenty one, so thirty years on, it would only have the purchasing power of five hundred dollars. I think that's like. <laughs> That, that's just a travesty to me that that mindset of save your money, save your money, save your money and, you know, put some money aside will actually end up eroding your money to the point where it's worthless. And that's what scares me as far as being prepared financially is 
you know, taking a bit of independence and ownership of your uh, financial future and realizing that if you leave it to, uh, if you just leave it to uh, sit aside, it will erode away. Definitely. I, I, uh, that, that was something that I kind of, that was instilled in me when I was actually quite a bit younger than, than when I started thinking about even being prepared. You know, it was always like my, my grandpa would always, uh, have me come over and do, you know, a bunch of BS work, like pull nails out of boards and stuff when I was really little. And he would usually yeah. pay me with like, you know, a silver dollar or something, you know, and back then it was, the silver dollar was worth a dollar or it was worth maybe a little bit more in silver. Um, nowadays, the silver dollar is worth like 12 bucks. You know, that's because that's because a silver dollar used to have silver in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> well, they still they yeah, they don't need more because we don't really have silver dollar coinage. But that I don't know. I, I, I sometimes think like it would be funny and I'm doing it anyway, but I think it would be funny to have a like a separate. Uh, like a cold wallet that I basically just fed various, you know, crypto into that was one for each of my kids. And I just never touched it, never even look at it and just, you know, put a hundred bucks a month or something like that into it and just put it away. Just pretend it doesn't exist, which is what I do with mine anyway. But just to see, like they open up that time capsule when they're like 20 and be like, holy shit, there's like, three million dollars in here you know but it's the same thing with metals you know that's another facet is metals um absolutely if if you're not comfortable um you know now i'm not i'm not super huge into metals just because it you know i don't have that kind of discretionary funds to do it but i mean there's a lot of guys that uh you know have known this forever Right, I mean, metals have been the original holders of value: silver, gold, palladium, platinum, um, copper, copper. You but know. they also serve a tangible purpose in modern world, as far as they being do yeah. used in electronic components and everything. And I think that's where I've always, you know, kind of, I guess, question where the value lies in cryptocurrencies in general, not just Bitcoin. That's a good question. But, okay, so silver, there's a certain amount of ounces of silver in every single phone to make it work. There's there's two ounces in every Tesla. Okay, well, what my point is, Th- there's, there's actually, an actual real-world physical purpose <laughs> for metals to give them a value. There's not that with a crypto. Except, I guess, if it was a utility crypto that was serving a purpose. But if it's just a placeholder, it's it's imaginary in a certain way. The only reason it has value is because people have put a dollar amount to that value. But the whole point of it is that what happens if the dollar doesn't exist? What does that do to the value of that cryptocurrency that was being represented by that placeholder? Now it doesn't have a placeholder there's to identify a, it as. So what is it? There's um there's a really good sort of meme that goes around in, you know, particularly crypto Twitter, um, where two of them actually. Um one of them is a meme where someone says, Oh, what are you gonna do with your Bitcoin when it's worth a million dollars each? And the 
the the the response to that essentially is when they're worth a million dollars each you won't need dollars anymore it it will be bitcoin and the other meme basically is well one bitcoin will always equal one bitcoin so it doesn't really matter what the dollar does we're just assigning it a, a unit of measure and that unit of measure just happens to be the usd at the moment um, but at the end of the day, one Bitcoin is worth one Bitcoin. One XRP is worth one XRP. It makes no difference. Um, and to the point about, you know, what is that tangible value? Like it's not something that you could use in a real world case. Um, I would say, well, what is it that backs Facebook? Or what is it that backs Amazon? Or what is it that backs, you know, Google? I mean, there's, there's nothing there. It's it's just in, you know it's essentially it's um those companies uh, they're they're digital platforms um, now yes they've got a lot of employees and they own buildings and they own real estate and people could argue those points but fundamentally what is it that they provide it's essentially just digital services mm-hmm. it's faith it's a faith based thing and if you don't if you don't have any faith in something then it does lose value but- well and that's that's oh your point there is the best point so far today. <laughs> if you don't have faith in something, it loses value. So what happened was in, in the 70s, Nixon took the US dollar off the gold standard. And when asked the question, well, why will people continue to um, use the US dollar if it's not backed by gold? Nixon's response was trust. People will trust it because yeah. it's the USD. And what's happening is that trust is now being eroded yeah. and people are starting to, to lose faith in that. So once it, once something loses its faith or its trust, and people stop having confidence in it. That's when it starts to lose value. I agree. I uh, I was trying to find. I was trying to. I was trying to find this uh, this information here because I, I couldn't remember the exact number. I didn't want to misquote or anything. But every Tomahawk missile has five hundred ounces of silver in it. Right. So this is something that it, it, it was unbeknownst to me till someone brought this up. Um, and this may be irrelevant to the conversation, but there is a large percentage of metals that are basically unrecoverable. And I would say a Tomahawk missile would probably be the best example of that. You know, you launch a missile, it blows up and 500 ounces is laying somewhere in a desert or a jungle or the ocean or wherever it ends up. Uh, and you can't get that back. It's essentially vaporized. So that is going to be always a need. Like silver is a big need for technology. Um, it's in, you know, Tesla's and, and all the, all the electric cars and, and even correct. It even, actually has a bigger use case than gold. It does. And it, it, it there were yeah. times throughout history where it was worth more than gold. So, and, and I mean, I, I always look, I look at it in kind of the more traditional aspect, like gold is more of a store of value, whereas silver is more utilitarian for people. I mean, you're not going to be walking around with, uh, an ounce of gold in your pocket because that's about 1800 bucks. You know, that's people freak out when they see someone that's got like 500 bucks in their wallet. Like, whoa, you walk around with that kind of money. No one's walking around with gold coins these days. A silver a silver, uh, you know, even if it's like a, a bullion, like a silver ounce, you're looking at what, what is it now? Like 20, 27 20, bucks, I think 27 bucks. That's reasonable. You can buy something with 27 bucks. Um, and then what happens if goes, you have to give change? 
Well, that's where fractional <laughs> You get really silver. good at bartering. <laughs> no, that's where exactly. fractional fractional silver comes in. So you can actually get uh, – Volcambi has combi bars where it is a – you know, let's just say it's a, a, a one-ounce bar and it is broken into 10 sections. So you can break it down into a t- tenths of an ounce or grams. So, yeah, I was going to say, is that pure silver that has been – fractionalized or is that silver of the same size that's been debased with something else no no it's so it would be uh like a credit card size yeah and let's just say it weighs 10 grams yep and then that one bar is perforated into 10 okay well little chocolate bar pieces. that was gonna that. be my question i was like is, you gotta yeah. pull out your silver graham crackers and bust off a, a yeah no, but that didn't, they're expensive i didn't know that they, they have a higher premium. So That's you're going to awesome. pay more for those 10 grams because it's printed that way. Um, and it's, it's, it's stamped out that way. Uh, it is cool, but it would need massive adoption for it to be reasonable. Like that's, that's the biggest problem with silver too, is that, and, and gold to a certain extent, silver is always going to be cheaper and it's larger bars. So if you buy a hundred ounce bar of silver, the price per ounce is significantly lower than if you were to buy one silver ounce. Because it costs less for them to make that one bar than to print a hundred one ounce pieces. But in what situation are you going to be, you know, going to the grocery store to trade, you know, a little smidgen of silver for a gallon of milk? We used to. We we used to. Yeah, but we don't live in a world that that's even remotely possible now. You're you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store and convince them that you have legitimate silver in your hand. And convince them that they're going to be able to do something with that to trade for their value. Like it's not well. That's what a dollar note used to represent. That's that's what the U.S. dollar currently represents as a unit of account, and it used to be backed by gold. Now it's backed by trust. Before before seventy one, you could take your one dollar note and go to the bank and get one dollar of gold. It used to say on the note. I I believe it used to say redeemable for. For gold, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, those days are long gone. Even reinstating the gold standard at this point would be, it would be very difficult. I think it would be a mess. Um, there's There's been so much money out there printed that it, it it's already been devalued, you know? And if I, in my opinion, if they did that, it'd be like, well, they actually did get away with it. Well, you know? all the money printed last year is more right. money than the last, like, I think ever, I think 40%, 40% printed. Okay. So of all the the last 12 months printed in our history as a nation, 40% was printed last year. Yeah. And you had Jerome Powell, who uh, basically is responsible for, for all of that. And he was asked the question, well, how much can you print? Like, when do you stop? And he said, we will keep printing, you know, till we, till we need to. Yeah. Uh, till we need to stop. And uh, they said, well, how much can you print? He said, infinite. We can print infinite amounts. And I just think. But that instantly brings the value of the dollar to zero. The more people that understand that they can literally print however much and whatever they want, there goes the faith of it. Well, <laughs> yeah. And it's um, essentially it's theft. And um, I've shared with Chris in the past, there's some yeah. huge, you know, huge amounts of uh, wealth at the top and we've all always known that but um it's only when you scratch beneath the surface and you see how much wealth has been accumulated at the top in the last 12 months that you start to get 
really scared. I mean, there's a guy called Stan Druckenmiller who's essentially, you know, the, one of the most successful uh, hedge fund managers in the US and has been for like 30 years straight. I think he hasn't had a down year ever. And he just said he's had his best year ever, you know, during the last 12 months um, because, you know, this essential, uh, you know, money printing essentially via way of stimulus eventually flows to the top. It doesn't flow to the bottom. It starts at the bottom and flows up. Um, and so he, he, you know, I think it was quite a credible interview, actually. He came out and he said, this is, this is going to tear the uh, economy apart. I'm getting richer. All my peers in the billions are getting richer, but the people at the bottom are getting poorer and they don't realize that they're actually being stolen from. Yeah, so, it's, it's well, the unfortunate. Taxation is theft. And I mean, for me, this isn't even a political issue. This is not not even really a human issue. It's it's an animal issue, right? I mean, being uh, to some level of preparedness in your life, like, you know, on Sunday night, you clean the house and you get your stuff together for Monday morning. And, uh, you know, if you are expecting, you know, 12 people for Thanksgiving, you might buy for 16, you know, like the, it, it's just a, a simple, a simple aspect that we've gone from a society that prepared for a harsh winter to a society that is now having styrofoam containers in our fridge only because we're not cooking. And it could be, it's a wide spectrum. There are people at very varying degrees. I know people that 100% live off of their, off of their own land and they're vegetarian for the most part, not because they don't like meat, but because it's just easier to grow all their own food. Maybe once in a while to trade for some eggs, they'll trade for you know some beef or something but they they found a way to make it work for them and i i think that's kind of what all three of us are saying like whether it is your finances or uh it is you know food or something we didn't even touch on was you know fitness you know that that's another big yeah that's deal. a good point by yeah, by being really physically fit to a real degree not i don't mean you need to go out there and be pumping you know putting up 250 on your bench press every day just go for a walk or, you know, ride your bike instead of driving your car if it's down the street, or maybe you just wake up and do, you know, 50 push-ups or something in the morning. Like there is something you can do to prevent pain and, and, and stress and, and fear, well, anxiety. There's, um, there's the old saying is you either pay now or pay later. Yeah. Like at some time you got to pay. So you either do what's required now or, you know, you do like do it later and pay the consequences. Like at some stage it's going to happen. Yeah. And that and sounds I mean, like taxes too. The- <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. No, no. With taxes, you pay now and you pay later. And you pay later. <laughs> yeah, but I like I recently started getting more more fit. Not, nothing to any wild amount, but. You know, and I've, you feel the the difference, you know, uh, sunlight is also your friend. Like I've been kind of getting more into that. Like you just go out in the morning and you just sit in the sun and have breakfast in the sun. And it's not like some mystical voodoo. We are outdoors people. We are still connected to our animal roots. We need sunlight. We need fresh water. We need oxygen, you know, and and I've noticed it. Like you go stand out in the sun in the morning. Don't do it midday, especially if you're not, you're in Australia. Your skin will peel off you. But <laughs> go out in the sun and and absorb that shit, and it makes you feel better. It boosts your mood, and you know gives you more energy. Yeah, it's um, 
I mean, it's I, I'd started the whole conversation about you know uh, it, it being a big rabbit hole of stuff. You know, like being prepared is a big. You know, it, it, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it's you can be too prepared. No, I don't think so. But um, you can certainly be underprepared for stuff. Um, and a big part of preparation, as I said to you earlier, and I always say to people, is a lot of it's about education um, and wanting to to know what you might need to be prepared for, you know, rather than just being spoon fed everything about what you need in your life. You know, take some take some ownership of it, take some responsibility, and um, you know, be sovereign for your own sort of future. Don't don't allow your future to be dictated to you, whether it's you know this week, next month, next year, whatever it might be. And it's fun. I, I've treated it as a game for years. Like, can I learn how to do this? And you figure out how to do it. And it's it's not just with like the the traditional paradigm of, you know, oh, that guy's a prepper. You know, like it's everything. How to change the oil on your car. You know, how to uh, rewire. Yeah, education. Yeah, put in a new light socket. You know, simple, simple stuff like that. It's just nice to know how to do that. Like, a great one, actually, this one's kind of a fun like parlor trick too. Um, familiarize yourself with all of the edible stuff in your area. That one's always fun. Like you could literally, in almost every place in this country and probably across the world, maybe except for Australia because everything's trying to kill you over there, you could walk down the street and literally pick weeds out of the ground and eat them. You know, that one's kind of fun to just know because – People here will go to the grocery store. Again, I'm in a, a very uh, wasteful area in the sense that I was in the store the other day and I saw a freaking orange peeled in a plastic clamshell container. <laughs> and I was just wow. like, what in the world are we doing to people to where you cannot peel an orange? Not only is that plastic container irresponsible from a, you know, and I'm not a tree hugging type person in, in the, in the, you know, current sense, but it comes with its own container that protects it from rotting and is also edible. So what they've done is they've replaced (laughs) the container in which it comes for convenience. Yeah. That's yeah, not well. convenient, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's it is no, it is convenient, but at a cost, and the cost is wasteful. So, I just I don't know, blows my mind. Yeah. Just from a, I mean, called me an old soul, I guess, but um, you could, but you know, well, no, I won't call you an old soul. You're just a, you are a product of your experiences. You see, and oh, so no, I say that to you. <laughs> yeah, if you grow up in a, if you grow up as a child, and all you ever see is oranges at the stores wrapped in plastic without a peel. You'll think that's how oranges happened. <laughs> God, that's so bizarre. I mean, I that I get it. I get sc- when people a like scary world. It's well, people pasteurize eggs, you know, cracked eggs, and they put them in a container, and you can just pour it out into a pan, which always seemed a little odd to me, but it makes sense to a certain degree. But you don't peel a fruit and then specifically an orange. Like they all have their own packaging <laughs> evolutionarily perfect packaging that's why they're a th- that's why they're a thing like bananas have their own packaging which has other added benefits like banana peels have benefits as compost 
Orange peels, you can actually eat. I didn't know this till yesterday. You can actually eat an orange peel and it's actually pretty good for you. Um, not that I would do that, but you know, it's pretty wasteful not to do it. It, I don't, yeah. I saw, I, I saw a dude eat a wasting whole club meatball. It was, it was weird, but just like an apple. You can eat an apple. Actually, you know what? I found the right way to eat an apple. You know how, how you're supposed to eat an apple? How? You eat it from the bottom to the top. I'm dead serious. You, if you turn it that way, it's freaking weird. If you turn an apple, so you are starting at the bottom, you can actually eat straight through to the stem. And it's, it's really not that hard to eat. Now, if you do it from the side, though, you end up getting the side fibers of the core, and it's you can't eat it. It's gross. But you've you got to go eat. with the grain, not against the grain. Exactly. You're saying. You gotta, yeah. you, you have I never to, would have thought of an apple as having grain inside, but that does that's the, make it's sense. The core. I mean, it, it, it's yeah, interesting you know, say okay. that because I saw a video of uh, gorillas in the wild being given bananas, and they would peel those bananas from the bottom, not the top that we conventionally do. Oh, I've, I've always, always done it the other way because you don't get the strings. It's easier too. It just yeah. maybe it's we're just easier. lower. You guys are gorillas. Really. Yeah, we're gorillas. <laughs> Obviously, man. which actually yeah. fits into the whole you know silver thing because you call the you know silver people are apes. So, um, well, that's at least on like Reddit. But. Well, in crypto, they have a term where you ape into you, you ape into something like, oh man, I aped into Bitcoin hard this morning. Yeah. It's, I've I, never heard that one. That must only be Australian <laughs> Reddit. That's, no, no, it's 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 over. It's it's a global network, man. I've been telling you this the whole yeah. time. Yeah, but I think that's a big thing too. I mean, take note in your area. Like, what what do you have? What resources do you have? Like, do you know where? And this is not like end of the world stuff. This is just nice. It's nice to know these things like specifically fruit trees is something I pay attention to. There are a ton of fruit trees in, in my area. And most people that have like these gorgeous, like 70 year old orange trees, they don't even pick the oranges. Like all you got to do is get one of those picker things and you just pop all the oranges off, put them in a basket, put it in your driveway and say free. That's it. It's funny. There was like a big, you know, like peach orchard down here, um, peach and nectarines. And it had been there for like, I think 80 years. And, um, Someone has, you know, recently purchased that land and just raised all the trees, like just taken them all down because they were going to redevelop it. And I was just like, "That's just the way it's going." Like, That's you know, we'll just we'll just buy our peaches and nectarines from California. That's fine. It, they're probably better, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I am. I'll be the first person to say, like, I mean, in Cal- California is just covered in food. Right. I mean, we've got all the, you know, whatever you want basically grows here. And I know that's not the case for people that live in like North Dakota or whatever, but there are things that you can take note of in your area. Like, um, and I don't, I don't mean from like an aggressive stance, like, oh, this guy's got, you know, a whole, I don't know, like a plantation of potatoes. And if stuff goes bad, I'm going to go steal all his potatoes. I'm talking about like stuff that no one really cares about or notices. You know, just keep that in mind because uh, the other day I needed a lemon for a recipe and I was trying to think where, like, I don't want to have to deal going to the store and getting a lemon. Where, like, where's there a lemon tree in my neighborhood? And it, it so happened that the only lemon tree in my neighborhood happened to be in a, a neighbor's yard. So I kind of just had to back away from that and say, okay, we're not going to do lemon in this recipe. But 
you could always go to that person's door and be like, hey, man, can I take a lemon off your tree? You know, or, or whatever. Yeah. I it's don't funny. Know. They say where I live here, um, in the city I live in, if, if, if you uh, ever have to buy a lemon at the store, it means you don't have any friends. Yeah, like, does every, have everyone's got a lemon store. Everyone's got a lemon tree. People buy oh. oranges here, dude. Like, it is shocking to me that people buy or- There is a tree that I can see right now that is twice, sometimes sometimes twice a year if it's a weird year, but usually once a year, that thing is full of hundreds of oranges, and by the end of the season, they're all on the ground. It's shocking. Like, do something with it. I don't know. Yep. It's... It's a little frustration. I wonder, I mean, if there's an alcohol, what, what alcohol do they make out of oranges? Well, there's limoncello, but that's more the peel, I believe. Hmm. Isn't it? I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could come up with some biofuel kind of a... for it. There's a business opportunity, Chris, a biofuel made out of that wasted oranges. I th- I think the, the acidity is your issue because like apples will ferment easy. Uh, potatoes will ferment, you know, a lot of stuff that has high sugar content will ferment, but I don't know if you can ferment orange juice because if you did, I think it would kill the yeast before you got a high enough alcohol count. I'll okay. have to look into that. Interesting. If any of our listeners know how to, <laughs> how to make a liquor out of oranges, email us. I mean, I would just, I would estimate you could probably get 20 gallons out of that tree. I mean, Maybe you would just need to, like, you would need to, uh, like, let it reduce down. Like, you would need to boil it slowly, let it reduce down until you just had pretty much pure sugar. And then distill it. After yeah, something that. That'd be pretty mm, cool. Interesting. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Um, d- is there anything else you'd like to, to add? Um, I mean, I, I, I guess in hindsight, it was a, it was a little bit of a ramble and the conversation sort of went uh, all over the place, but that's the nature of what we do. But for anyone who sort of, you know, found that there was like, like a, a small little part of them that has some curiosity towards it and they don't know how to sort of satiate that curiosity. Um, there's plenty of resources. There's, um, but just, just sort of pick your, um, I guess your biggest channels on YouTube or, or, you know, whatever forums you happen to be on and always be skeptical is another thing. And, um, not just towards crypto, just towards everything, always be skeptical. And, um, one of the core mantras of Bitcoin in particular is trust nothing and verify everything. Um, and do the same when you're educating yourself is, you know, make sure you verify. Once you start verifying things, um, it'll put you in good stead for making sure that the information that you're getting is good. But there are plenty of resources out there for people who uh, want to dip their toe in the water. Start start reading, start listening. And uh, it very seldom do I find people who just walk away from it and say, not for them, not interested. More often than not, mo- most people will um, find that there has been a, you know, a small little part of their brain that's curious. Yeah, I just think it's important to try and give people some direction it's really overwhelming and intimidating to people mainly older people they find it really intimidating yeah younger people are a bit more across this stuff but um if you've got people between the ages of you know 40 and 60 who are listening and they're like i'm interested but i don't know where to even start it's just about educating and researching that's all i ever ever try and push is just open your mind and start reading yeah and if you start thinking in terms of money and not in terms of currency 
in value yeah. a lot easier value you know the you know we've we've used shells we've used you know uh gold chain you know that yeah. money chains that was a big thing for a long time like if you you just have to think of it in those terms i mean it's it is easy You'll, once once you get down into it you'll notice that not one little bit of what i have ever said to you in the past or even today has been about like getting rich none of it it's never right. about getting rich it's always just about being prepared and um getting in before the crowd yeah that's a good yep. way to be well yeah well, thanks again for being on the podcast with us if thanks, any bro. of you guys have questions and would like to you know potentially be on the podcast just give us a shout out uh email us at beyond the pipe one at gmail.com it's beyond the pipe the number one at gmail.com <laughs>